the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Looking forward to another great uh, program today. We've got some guests. Uh, we will talk with our old friend Joel Pollack, the extraordinary writer of, over at Breitbart.com. And we'll also talk with uh, Mark Ludwig. And we'll talk about Amazon, Amazon and the cancel culture and what's happening there. It'll be great to talk to Mark Ludwig. He's an extraordinary guy, founder, executive director, and one of the founders of Americans for Equal Shared Parenting. We'll talk about that, too. So, uh, great to be with you again. A lot happening, a lot happening. And uh, what do you say to yourself? What do I need to know today? Well, <clears throat> it's very important to cut through all the nonsense and all the crud and get to what you really need to know. I'm here to help. And if you go over to ProAmericaReport.com, that's the website for this show, Ed Martin's Pro America Report, you can go there and you can see exactly what you need to know. And one way to do it is to sign up for the daily email, the daily wink, and uh, have that sent out to you every morning, 8 a.m. Uh, East Coast time, uh, 5 a.m. Pacific time, and get your update there. Uh, Monday through Friday, email goes out, gives you some uh, context for what's important, some stories, some links, usually one of my Periscope videos, and all that right there. So... Today, what you need to know. Well, I did a Periscope about this. So if you go to at Eagle Ed Martin, I put it up over at uh, Facebook, uh, Phil, uh, Ed Martin Live. Uh, and I did a Facebook on this. And let me see if I can do it even better for you all, because this is what you need to know. This is very important. You know, the, 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 one of the reasons I love doing radio as opposed to television and even the harder work of writing is because radio, you can't fake it. You have to speak it. You can't, you know, use your face and, and use your hands. You have to speak it. You have to use the words really well to convey what you mean. You can use your voice inflection. You can use pausing. Sometimes you can use sound effects. You can do things. But mostly you have to be able to use the words because you can't use the visual to change it. And so it's hard and it's interesting and it gets you a lot of practice. I think if you do a lot of uh, communicating by speaking, you get a certain uh, uh, set of skills and facility. And the best is in ranking in order, the best order of becoming a really good communicator is write all the time, be a writer. Speak on the radio or on audio only because you can't use your facial expressions and your hands and other things to fake it. And then the others do video, whatever kind of video. That's the order. But writing is the best. I can see that. I need to do more writing. Um, so words are important. And one of the insights of the of the American experience, in particular, I would say uh, the uh, last 70 years, has been the power of words in our lives. Now, our founding is as a Judeo-Christian country, the Word, the Word would, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. If you're Christian, the book, the great Torah, the book of the Word of uh, God for the Judeo, the Judeo part of the Judeo-Christian tradition. So that part of it is the people that the founding values were, fa were values of the Word, of the books. And then we put it down on paper. Declaration of Independence, preamble to the Constitution, Constitution. You, you were you 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 framed your relationship with each other based on the word, and in America, that stability of the Judeo-Christian roots, the Constitution, the rule of law, 
Very, very exciting. Very, very liberating. Tons of opportunity. Really great. That's the reality of the American experience early. And then I would say in the last 70 years, we watched the extraordinary power of people starting with Billy Graham on the Christian side, but more profoundly with, um, with the Norman Vincent Peale and, the, uh, and Dale Carnegie on the sort of social side. And what they taught us is what you say and what you hear, the words around you can shape what you understand, what you believe and how you do things. And so we saw this extraordinary explosion of American industry and industrial uh, industriousness, individual up by your bootstraps. I'll write it. I'll do it. I'll create it. I'll invent it. And all the world over marveled at our success. And what you need to know is we as a culture are people of the word and the word has generally been optimistic until the last maybe 25 years. Where in part I would blame critical race theory and other sort of uh, academic movements like that. But it's culminated with the president, this President Biden. And I want to tell you what I think and then I want to finish. One of our listeners, Patrick, uh, I forget, Patrick Dolan maybe, uh, was said that we, you know, don't be too down, Ed. We need more hope. So I don't want to be down only. But let me tell you, I, what, I, what, I, what I see, what I see around us with this president, President Biden has now done, I don't know, 30 executive orders. And a large part of them, a big chunk of them, have to do with dividing us by words. You're not an American. You're an ex-American, you know, hyphenated American, African-American, Hispanic-American, LGBT-American. And he's, he's dicing and slicing our identity into these pieces. And inevitably, the words are used. They just are dividing us. And they're redefining us. And again, if Norman Vincent Peale, whose book I'm looking at, you know, The Power of Positive Thinking, if he said, when you say the words, you can form, your confidence can grow, you can have a sense, you know, all things, uh, all things are possible through Christ, you know, all these kinds of things that Norman Vincent Peale almost said, like, talk yourself into it, and it works. If you don't believe that, I'm not sure what your experience is. Similarly, if someone tells you you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're failure, you're failure, you're failure, over and over and over again, that starts to be who you associate yourself with. And so we have to be, when, you, when I heard Joe Biden say we're coming into a dark winter, I thought, that's not very good when I saw him talking about it. But now I'm seeing by executive order, by words, written words, and then spoken words, I will divide you. I will divide you up. I will pit you against each other. It's really, it's evil at its heart to do that to people. One of the EOs was about Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders and discrimination under COVID. I don't even know what that means. I think he means, don't call it the Wuhan virus, but otherwise I don't know. I haven't noticed a lot of discrimination actions or people being really terrible to Asian Americans. I'm, I'm, I'm not for negative words at people, right? We shouldn't be. But this president continues to divide us into, you know, into us versus them among we the people. So the other part of this that was America was people came to our country and when they were done coming and being here, they became Americans. They said the Pledge of Allegiance, they fought in the wars, they bought into the vision, they had the shared values. Instead, right now, you have this sense that people that are here, we got to divide them up and we got to reinforce through the words the dividedness. The differentness, the not not the commonality, 
But the, and so much so that Joe Biden, one of his executive orders, gets rid of the 1776 commission, which was at least in part derived from a, uh, to combat the 1619 project, which said America's founding was based on racism 150 years before the the, uh, the 1770s. And everyone, even even academics, are like that thing was pretty wacky. 1619 was a bit off base, but it was popularized and shoved into high school into curriculums. I don't know if it's only high school. And so the 1776 commission said, hey, let's educate about patriotism and the founding values and the founding documents. Well, Joe Biden, in revoking that, didn't only revoke it, he basically called anyone who believed in it, you know, not, well, he called them liars, trading in lies and falsehoods or something like that. This guy is constantly dividing us through his words and through these executive orders. And a lot of the executive orders really are fluff. They're nonsense. They won't be implemented except in ways that aren't clear. When Susan Rice says she's going to implement some of these EOs through the Domestic Policy Council, you should go shake your in your you should shake your head or shake in your boots because what does that mean? It's not an obvious uh, policy position. It means whatever she wants. So that's the problem. But even before we get to the implementation, as I said on my Periscope, I expected bad policies. These people are pro-abortion. They want to gut education. Uh, they, you know, they want to take away educational choice. They want to give more power to the teachers unions. They want to you know, fight all these wars. All these things I expected. What I didn't expect and see coming was how incredible this president's outward efforts would be at dividing, using the words to divide and to demean. And here's the problem. Over time, people, they get shaped by the words around them. Again, it, it, you know, we, we talked about this before, you know, the, the danger of big tech and fake news media is that they, especially big tech, they control what you see and what you know and then what you do. And they do it by science, neuroscience. They don't do it by guessing on phrases and all that. And they're trying to create people that are dependent on their business model as much as they are ideologues, in my opinion. But the business model is for heightening this kind of rhetoric that you see Biden divide, distract, agitate, and they'll return. It's a terrible, terrible way to live and to be. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting. I I, I can't tell you how... In the first week of this presidency, how divisive, how how divided he seems to want us through his language. It's really terrible. All right, we'll take a break. That's what you need to know. We'll take a break. When we come back, we got some great guests again. We will talk with uh, our old friend, uh, Joel Pollack, as well as Mark Ludwig. Be right back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and it's uh, great to talk again. I often talk about you, Joel, when you're not on the show. Joel Pollack is uh, the senior editor-at-large at Breitbart News, uh, Breitbart.com. And, of course, he's the host of Breitbart News Sunday on Sirius XM Patriot 125, Sunday evening, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. on Eastern Time. And he's got a couple of recent books, one that's out just a few moments ago, it feels like, just like the other day. Uh, it's called How Not to Be a Blank Hole Country, uh, Lessons from South Africa, where he was born. He also read November. The one uh, that's not, I was thinking of, and I hadn't read again since I looked at it right after the election, uh, was really interesting, Joel, is the one we talked about it on the program, uh, Neither Free Nor Fair, I think I'm getting the title right, of that that's book. Right. Um, so welcome Joel, welcome, Joel Pollack. How are you today? Fine, thank you, and thanks for having me. 
Well, it's great to have you, Joel. And let me ask you about the, that book, uh, Neither Free Nor Fair. And it's an e-book. I bought it right away. It's really compelling. It's about a lot of the things that happened before the election. But, Joel, I tell people now the narrative, capital T, capital N, the narrative is the election in November was great. It was perfect. The first one in history. If you happen to think it wasn't, you're subscribing to the big lie. And the big lie uh, leads you into sedition. And you're part of the great insurrection of, no, of January 6th. Uh, January 6th. And it feels like the media, big tech and everybody else are really framing that narrative every single day, all the time to go forward. Am I overstating that? Well, what the media are doing is they're playing a game. They know that the election wasn't perfect, to put it mildly, but they're demanding right. that people produce proof of widespread voter fraud. That's the new litmus test. Right. Nobody right. has ever objected to an election based on widespread voter fraud. When Democrats claimed that the 2000 election was stolen, they complained about the counting procedures in Florida. When they claimed that the 2004 election was stolen, they talked about voting machines in Ohio and a couple other places. The, the theory behind voter fraud is that it's targeted, not widespread. So they've set up a bit of a straw man. But in my book, I back away and zoom out from these questions of voter fraud. My argument about the election was that it was unfair, not because of what happened on Election Day or at the ballot box, but because of everything that happened beforehand. You can't have an election where mm -hmm. rules change in the middle at the behest of one side and over the objections of the other. But that's what we had. You can't have an election with political mm -hmm. violence and rioting in the streets that's directed by one side against the other. You can't have a fair election when there's censorship by the media and social media. And all of those conditions happened. Now, does that mean we should overturn the election? No, and I argued against that back in December because right. it would also be unfair to overturn it, to have Congress or anybody else say, well, we're just going to toss out the result. Sometimes you have to live with a bad result. And there were some good things in the results. Progressive ballot measures were rejected everywhere. Democrats lost seats in the House. They didn't storm the Senate the way they thought they would. Of course, they did win those two seats in Georgia in the special runoff. But basically, it was a pretty good election for Republicans. The country just decided not to reelect Donald Trump. And, and that's complicated right. and, and hard to unpack. But we can't have an election like that again. It was, it was fundamentally undemocratic. And Democrats just, as, as you put it, they, they just want to forget about all the abuses that happened. But we actually need a bipartisan commission to go through this so that we never experience the kind of election we had in 2020 ever again. We're talking with Joel Pollack. Again, Joel is the senior editor-at-large at Breitbart.com. You should read all of his stuff whenever he writes, and you can follow him on Twitter, at Joel Pollack. Um, Joel, one more aspect of that, uh, that your book, Free and Fair, Neither Free Nor Fair. Um, the, uh, the, the polling was so off. The media coverage was so biased. I know you're one of the people that really deconstructed the Charlottesville hoax, but the media is not getting better. Now we're seeing polling that shows Biden is popular, even though no one believes that. I mean, wh wh how do we maybe we get some transparency in the election? How do we get the, the media, the polling and all these other things that are so off under control? Well, you can't get those things under control. Our system is designed so that there's nobody who can control them. The only way to counteract their negative influence is to have positive influences, more speech, more journalism, more polls. 
have competing outlets and you'll get a better sense of what's actually going on. The problem is that we have legacy media institutions that occupy places of privilege, if I can put it in sort of leftist terms, because that's exactly the right way to describe it. They have seniority in the White House press corps. They're considered untouchable by social media companies. You know, if Breitbart gets a fact wrong on Facebook, we get fact-checked, and we have to be very careful about that because they can kick you off the platform. If the New York Times gets the Russia collusion hoax wrong for three years, nothing happens to them, and they get to keep their Pulitzer Prizes. So there's a kind of oligarchy in the media. Now, and we have to get beyond that, and we have to go outside of it. Of course, when you start a new service like Parler, then you get Amazon to strip away the ability of Parler to function as a business. So there are some legal steps, some antitrust actions and other actions that have to be taken because what they're doing, I think, is not just unconstitutional but probably illegal as well in terms of controlling the dialogue. We're not supposed to control any kind of dialogue. The, the First Amendment is pretty clear. And the value of free speech is that we need more voices, not fewer voices. So how do you do it? You listen to your show. You read Breitbart. You go to alternative outlets and get alternative information and educate yourselves. And we have to educate ourselves so that we know what's actually happening. We have to weight the different information we're getting from different sources and make up our own minds. We're talking with Joel Pollack again, uh, Breitbart.com writer and a radio host and uh, author. Uh, recently, Joel, the, the piece that I, I flagged that I wanted to ask you about and got you on the show, the title was pa uh, Joel Pollack is author. It says, Where Trump Supporters Go From Here. Let me set it up like this for you. Um, you. You were around Breitbart for the earliest days. Andrew Breitbart came out of that Tea Party movement where people found the energy to express you know, what they were feeling and go do things. Start Breitbart, start a Tea Party, run for office. And now 10 years later or so, 12 years later, we're here. Trump did something, but it, it's not as clear now. What, where, where are they going to go from here? Is the party Republican party going to hold them? I mean, I think they'd be are the Republican party, but what, give us your walk us through where the possibilities are, where the Trump voters can go from here. Well, Trump voters are still very interested in Trump's agenda. And the reason they're interested in his agenda is that it worked. It's very hard to get Americans to line up behind something that doesn't work. And part of the reason that Trump's presidency still looms so large, even after the Capitol riot and even through this impeachment trial they're going to have in the Senate, is that he did things that worked, even though they were things Washington resisted doing. So that's going to have to be the heart of any Republican Party policy agenda going forward. I think Donald Trump has shown that the working class Republican voter is the new foundation of the party and that policies that are to the benefit of American workers, American industries, those are the policies that the party has to stand for. Right now you've got Joe Biden out there trying to copy some of what Trump did, which I guess you could say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. He's got his own Buy American executive order, but it basically copies Trump's orders. I mean, right. you know, Joe Biden's uh, no stranger to copying other people's work, but he leaves out the parts about immigration enforcement. <laughs> so it's, it's the right. heart of the MAGA agenda that has to be the heart of the Republican agenda. I would add a few other things. I think there are some, some things stylistically uh -huh. that Trump could have done differently. I like his swashbuckling style, but if we're if we're honest with one another, we have to admit that it did turn some voters off. So I think Republicans have to think about 
the brand of the party going forward, how you can be a fighting party fighting for America's interests without alienating people who don't agree with you and while projecting a right. kind of cohesive civility that Democrats don't seem to have any interest in. I, I think that's an important opportunity we have right now because Democrats are busy crushing free speech and calling their opponents names and impeaching people out of office already. Republicans have an opportunity to seize the mantle of civility and to say, you know what, we stand for a better way, a way that's actually going to bring people together. I don't think Joe Biden knows how to bring the country together. He talks about unity. He promised unity in his inaugural address, and then he goes for impeachment. It's not just something happening passively in the Senate. It's something he is actively pushing. And I think Republicans have an opportunity to say, you know what, we stand for reconciliation in this country. We're the party of Lincoln, malice toward none, charity to all. And I think that's uh, something the Republican Party has to incorporate into its brand. Uh, we're talking with Joel Pollack. And, Joel, unfortunately, we're out of time. I, I'll put this piece up on social media. I encourage people, follow Joel on Twitter, at Joel Pollack. Read his stuff at Breitbart.com. He's really one of the important voices. He sees down the playing field of what's happening a lot. So thanks for the time, Joel. We appreciate it very much. Thank you. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Uh, welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. My old friend, Mark Ludwig, and I you, I say to people a lot of times on the show, I say, my old friend so-and-so that's on the show. A lot of times it's people that have been a guest on the show a bunch of times. Mark Ludwig is legitimately an old friend of mine for many years now. He's the executive director at Americans for Equal Shared Parenting. He's helped lead that organization to, uh, I would say, prominence as uh, you know, making clear that parents have a, a equal, <laughs> deserve an equal share of parenting in so many times where there's divorces, we've just seen such a terrible um, uh, misallocation of time with children and the impact on the kids has become well known and Mark leads an organization that's extraordinary. So, uh, And he comes back on though because he's also a business guy and he's observed a lot of things and we're going to talk about uh, what's going on with Amazon, uh, cancel culture and other things. So first Mark, welcome to the program. How are you? Ah, Thanks for having me on again, Ed. I appreciate it. Well, and before we get to this other, the question of Amazon, the marketplace, cancel culture, let me ask you about uh, your work with Americans uh, for Equal Shared Parenting. It feels like you got a lot of momentum in the last two or three years, that people understand the issue more, the issues surrounding it. They also understand the abuse. Are you finding that you're making progress in addition to having energy around the issues? Yeah, last year before COVID hit, uh, we actually had 87 pieces of legislation in 29 different states that in some form addressed the issue of kids needing equal time with both parents. So we, we've made great Good. progress over the last few years. Um. Well, that's good. I'm glad. And I, I, I've told before the listeners that when we talk about the issues of, uh, of the abuses of the family sort of courts, the uh, the child protective services, the energy that I hear from callers and, and readers and, and listeners, I mean, they're just uh, fired up over it. So, all right, now let's talk about this. Yeah, I, I saw this uh, a post you did on, uh, I guess, on your own, uh, uh, is it uh, Facebook account? Um, the, this yeah, uh, the video. Yeah, yeah I Facebook. Did this one on my, yeah, I did this one on my personal account. Um, I've yep. had a lot of so people recently, since I happen to have been at the Capitol during the thing, a lot of people have been asking my views. So I did this on my personal page. Yeah. So tell me about it. Tell me about. Tell me about what, what you're saying here. 
Yeah, my, my big concern, a lot of people have been aware of Facebook and Twitter that have now deleted, to my knowledge, 78,000 accounts that have been deleted, not just in Facebook jail, but deleted. And I'm more concerned about Amazon. You know, Facebook basically controls your, your social communication. But I think a big fear that everybody ought to start waking up to is the power and clout that Amazon could do to disrupt the entire marketplace across the country if they decide to pick winners and losers the way they did with Parler. It's uh, and but have we seen evidence of that? I guess that's one thing. One of the things you can't you can't worry about something you don't see. And how would you see it? Deplatforming. Well, that's yeah. That's the key. Is is Parler is the first I think incident where we now have evidence that uh, they're into the the social justice marketing campaign where uh, you're going to pick a company based on their political philosophy, but. You know, when Parler woke up and basically overnight realized that Amazon had booted them off their Internet service providers. Uh, But I think a lot of people are not aware of just how intertwined Amazon is throughout trade, business and commerce all across the the country. You know, we watched with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a free enterpriser, so I love seeing businesses grow. But we watched small town America basically be decimated by Walmart uh, as they started doing some unethical principles uh, throughout. You know, I, I grew up, I went to college at Warrensburg, and about every right, small right, right, town sure. in America had all the mom and pop stores. And then Walmart moves out, and it was a great concept early on. I think Sam uh, had great intentions, but I think some people came in after he was gone that really forgot about the philosophy of helping small business. And Amazon yeah. is doing the same thing right now. Amazon is involved in, you know, they've got their web servers, they've got the live streaming platform, they're into artificial uh, intelligence and their drones taking over the complete fulfillment, the complete shipping, the complete warehousing. And now they are at a point where they can pick winners and losers. Uh, a lot of people aren't aware they have the single largest database of consumers in the world. Because anyone who's ever ordered on Amazon, you may have ordered from another company, but Amazon has all the data on how many kids are in your family, what they order, what sizes you wear, what type of books you buy. Do you buy conservative books or liberal books? And they've hmm. got the right to be able to decide, as we found with Parler, that all of a sudden they don't want you. And they've started doing that to a degree with some companies. They've watched some companies and helped small businesses build but after a while, they've got access to the data to realize some of these small companies are making pretty large margins now. And now Amazon mm-hmm. can go to those companies and say, you know what, we've been giving you prime placement, but we're going to come up with our own product now, our own product called Amazon Choice, and we're going to put you on page three and four of our search engine. So now we're going to market to your consumers that are in our database, and we're going to market a competitive product to you that we get a higher margin on. And so We're talking with Mark Ludwig. Okay. Is and again, again though, um, will we see it? Um, you know, you can see, you could see. Uh, back to your example, we're talking with Mark Ludwig. You reference Warrensburg, which is uh, for our listeners in other parts of the country. Uh, one of the one of the towns in uh, in Missouri, Central Missouri, West Central Missouri. Uh, but when it, when a when a when a five and ten closes in Warrensburg, you see the empty uh, storefront. When Amazon steers business away from a certain people, a certain um, entities, you might not even. Even see it, right? 
Well, the general public may not, but what about the employees of those companies? You know, what about all the people mm-hmm. who rely on a job from those companies? And we've also seen recently of, of Mike Lindell with my with uh, my pillow, where companies just woke up one day and said, "We don't like your politics, so we're not going to carry your products anymore." You know, imagine Amazon, where some of these small businesses market eighty to ninety percent of their product through Amazon. Could you imagine wow. the CEO of that company waking up one day and finding out, "Oops." We're not being marketed by Amazon anymore, and now I have to lay off 700 employees who relied on us for a job. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it does remind me of uh, fo- one of the folks that was sort of a tech guy to me years ago. He said, you, you know, you don't build your uh, house, uh, don't build your house by the uh, sea on property owned by somebody else. I mean, his point was, you know, how do you, but uh, but on the other hand, remember, uh, you remember the Gateway Pundit, the great Gateway Pundit, Jim Hoft, uh, thegatewaypundit.com for uh, after the 2016 election, Facebook, which had been, I think, 70 plus percent of his business was through Facebook. They just changed the algorithm, didn't tell him, didn't announce it and just shut him down. And uh, again, my point on this is that you don't know. Here, a real quick example: I, I did a radio show uh, on. Um, I did a radio show on. Let's see, Wednesday morning, eight uh, thirty in the morning, uh, Champaign-Urbana in Illinois, and by, we talked about the voter, the election of twenty uh, twenty, how there was irregularities, there might be fraud. We should get to the bottom of it. I mentioned some of the service companies by name. By the time the show was over, his Facebook Live feed, which transmitted his show live, also was shut down by Facebook, probably based on an algorithm and, and bots. You know, listening. I don't know if any was observing. The point. My point here is uh, again is the the. Um, the Amazon. Your your point is Amazon's bigger than Facebook. Facebook's just people talking to each other. Amazon's everything we're doing, and it's even scarier. Is that your point? Exactly. Amazon has the power to totally shut down trade, commerce, and industry, or worse, pick their own choice of winners and losers based on political philosophy. Huh. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, again, though, has, have they done it yet? I mean, I'm, I'm not being too glib, but I mean, have they targeted the, the, uh, the sale of like, uh, I don't know, uh, Trump, uh, Trump, uh, Trump gear or, I, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know an example yet. Do you? Yeah, I don't know. That. The only example I'm aware of is the parlor where they shut, off, shut down their, their website. And now parlor, I, I believe they're, they found a new uh, provider, but they're having some problems getting the... Uh, technical infrastructure switched over but you know to wake up overnight and, and how many of us had parlor as a secondary or a third uh app on our phone that we were using to communicate to people and boom it was shut down overnight with with no warning whatsoever so and that was done by yeah. Amazon. so that's the, the first thing that the public is aware of at this point yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's really, uh, uh, it's a brave new world. It's a, it's a brave new world. All right, Mark Ludwig, as always, thank you for your insight and especially uh, for all your leadership on this issue and especially uh, your great work uh, on the Americans for Equal Shared Parenting. Uh, people uh, need to check that out. So thanks, Mark. I appreciate it very much. Hey, thanks again for having me on and thanks for all you do. I sure appreciate you. All right. Thank you, Mark. You're very nice. All right. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll go to into what you need to do. Today's window. We'll be back and cover that. And don't forget, you can go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. And uh, this interview with Mark and others will be archived there. You can view them. So we'll take a break and be right back. Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, grassroots activist, author of 27 books, and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. 
Our U.S. legal system came to us from medieval England, where no one could ever sue the king. The American Revolution replaced the king with representative government, but the doctrine of sovereign immunity still exists. Government is immune from claims against it, except where authorized by special laws. Trial attorneys would have a field day if they could sue every time government makes a mistake. However, the Vermont Supreme Court opened the door to suing its state for mistakes. It is said that bad facts make bad law. That means unusually tragic facts can lead a court to establish a new rule that really does not work well in most cases. That's what happened in the case of Kennery versus Vermont. An elderly woman named Gladys Kennery had a doctor's appointment in 2007. Her daughter, who lived in New York, became concerned when she did not hear back from her mother afterwards. The daughter called the Vermont Department of Public Safety to request a welfare check on her. The daughter provided her mom's house number and described it as being across the street from her numbered mailbox. Four hours later, two troopers found the numbered mailbox but drove up the highway near the mailbox rather than going to the house across the street. They looked around the wrong house and in its garage and found no one. The following day, a postal worker found Gladys, who had tragically collapsed in her own backyard across the street the night before. She had been exposed all night to the cold Vermont weather, and 12 days later, she died of hypothermia. The Vermont Supreme Court held that once government accepts responsibility to do something, then it has a duty to provide the service with reasonable care. Taxpayers may end up footing the bill. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. If you're busy taking notes, you can stop now because these commentaries in written form and spoken audio are archived on the website phyllisschlafly.com, many recorded by Mrs. Schlafly herself. If you're doing research or missed a day, just go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and re-listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Let us talk about things, what you need to do, what you need to do, the window today. And this is one I was really excited about. I spent a couple of, um, well, a couple of phone calls, probably about an hour, with uh, Adam Andrzejewski. Adam Andrzejewski runs the organization OpenTheBooks.com. OpenTheBooks.com. Extraordinary effort by this group to... um, by um, by by legal means, FOIA requests, uh, you know, requests for public documents. They have just tracked down all kinds of spending, all kinds of things. They've broken tons of stories on the endowments of public universities. He told me they have a story on. I don't think it's out yet on the uh, militarization of, uh, of of law enforcement, of of, um, of police and others. How much uh, weaponry and things have been put in the hands of uh, of government uh, uh, police and, and backup in terms of the big guns and all. It'd be interesting to see. He broke the news the other day 
that Dr. Fauci is the highest paid uh, person in uh, all of government, higher paid than the president of the United States. I mean, higher paid than the vice president, higher paid than the Supreme Court justice. I mean, really, really amazing stuff. That became an international story. So go to, oh, here's one, what you need to do. Openthebooks.com, openthebooks.com. Familiarize yourself with this group because knowledge is power and these efforts sort of citizen-led, you know, he uh, Adam is from Illinois, he lives in Illinois, and it's kind of, it's kind of a think tank wonky thing. Um, you know, it's not a corporation. It's a nonprofit and they go dig out this stuff. It's really important stuff. Openthebooks.com. Well, I want to highlight for you one of the unbelievable stories and it wasn't uncovered by openthebooks.com, but it could have been. And it's this. It now appears that 31 billion, billion with a B, 31 billion dollars in California's unemployment funds have been paid out to scammers. Okay? Now, and so here's the thing about scammers. What I'm saying is this. There's 31 billion dollars uh, unemployment. Now, California's huge, right? California's as big as many countries. And the reason I brought up OpenTheBooks.com and one of the reasons I'm encouraging you to go there is there are so many examples of, of, uh, of poor management, poor um, uh, 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 government uh, functions, and you can find them, and knowledge is power. So knowledge is power to be able to say to people, this is another example, you know, when they get ready, now they're getting ready. Uh, uh, earlier today, uh, Jen Psaki in the press office, the, the press spokeswoman for uh, uh, President Biden said, well, we're not sure that um, impeachment is really useful. We, if $31 billion is found in fraud in the California unemployment system, and be clear, a lot of that money is federal money that passes through. It has to go to the states to be administered, but it's our tax dollars, broadly speaking. But if that's what happens in one program, rest assured it happens in others. Rest assured that it happens in almost any one. You pick any program and you'll find it. And what you need to do as a matter of course, maybe we talked a couple days ago about how do you find the sources that you can rely on for information. One of the ways, one of the things you do is you get some sources that you can rely on that are like these that give you things to look at. And again, openthebooks.com has a whole different, all different categories. You can go to uh, uh, their coverage of the uh, of the higher ed. There's a big report on higher ed. You can go to their coverage of local governments. You can see, um, you can search uh, by employer name. You can search by location. And uh, it's really an extraordinary uh, 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 website, openthebooks.com. I encourage you to, to, uh, a, to acquaint yourself with it and use it as a tool and share it as a tool for other people. And we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. San Diego.